Happy Monday. Hopefully it is a happy Monday. Can some of those reporters from the U.S. who didn't get to have a weekend because Kawhi Leonard decided what he was going to do Friday at 2 a.m. Eastern, can they have today off? Do they have today off? I don't think they do. It's back to work for them. We are going to talk a little bit about Kawhi Leonard in just a minute. I want to thank Jess Brady for the great job that she did sitting in this chair last week. And I also want to bring some attention to Cheryl Ruth, and I want to congratulate her. Cheryl went out plogging. I'm not even sure if she intended to go plogging. Had a great post yesterday on Twitter where she, and she credited Counselor Phil Squire for inspiring her because he often goes out plogging, and I'm not sure whether he calls it plogging either. You know plogging, right? You run, but you have a bag. You should probably wear gloves, and you pick up trash. And Cheryl actually showed off the haul that she had. The number of beer cans is amazing, considering her run was along the roadways in Port Franks. Lots of beer cans. Who's doing that? What? How do single beer cans get to the side of the road? Wait a minute. Because this, this is not like these beer cans have been sitting there since 1973. What's going on in Port Franks? You guys, you guys need to behave a little bit more, I think. But thank you, Cheryl, for doing your part in making this a cleaner place. You know what? It's it's amazing to see what will happen. And anybody who deals with waste collection or who has organized an event will tell you that if you throw stuff on the ground, other people will see that and they will just, without even thinking, throw stuff on the ground. And then you just get this big buildup. If you have a clean area, people are very less likely to throw stuff on the ground. And we already have one of the cleanest cities. Talk to some of the athletes who come in and play for the London majors from other places. Because they will tell you one thing that they notice about London, Ontario is it snows here. The other thing they will notice is how clean and safe it feels. Never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. So, Cheryl, thank you for doing your part and a bunch of other parts for making the area cleaner by plogging. We're going to talk blogging. Actually, we're going to talk with a blogger in about a half hour from now on accessibility in London. Jerry LaHaye is going to join us. And Sunfest, can we have a round of applause for how that went? That was one of the sunniest Sunfests we've had in a while. I don't know where Alfredo Kashek gets the order for the weather, but every year. Can you remember a Sunfest where it rained? I don't. Maybe just because of the name? But it was tremendous. Lots of people coming out. It was incredibly warm at certain points. I was down there Saturday afternoon, and it it was hot. But it was uh, it was definitely worth going to once again. We're going to talk though about events that take place in and around Victoria Park from an accessibility standpoint. What could be done better about the way these events? Are held. How do we make this better for people who have accessibility concerns? And we'll talk with Jerry about that. We are going to be joined in about an hour from now by online investigative global news reporter Sam Cooper. You may have heard Jacqueline LaBelle talking just a couple of minutes ago about the amount of fraud that goes on that is carried out by organized crime. 
and the amount of money that is bringing in. Sam has done a phenomenal job following up on this story. He's going to join us with some really interesting details about that. So we'll talk about that. We do have to talk about all of the tragedies on the water. And we'll get to that at some point, either maybe in a few minutes or maybe even later on in the show. But seriously, adults drowning. How does that happen? How does it happen? I I still don't know. We're reminded all the time about life jackets and we're reminded all the time about, you know, having some common sense. It can be so easy. Everybody says, nah, 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 it never happened to me. I've been swimming since I was four. Okay, we can be swimming since you were four months. It doesn't matter. A lot of the problem is you haven't been swimming any great lengths since you were about 12. So that can be an issue. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of tragedies in this area. So we'll get to that story too. To kick off a Monday, and I have to admit, I did walk down Quebec Street. I got an email already about this earlier today. Uh, Mike, I hear you're back in the afternoon. This one comes from Sherry. Mike, I hear you're back in the afternoon today. Looking forward to the show. Thank you. Uh, So am I. Uh, Looking forward to the show. Did you get a chance to find Marilyn's footprint? I walked down Quebec and I didn't see it. Marilyn, I I tried. I I don't know whether that particular, um, I guess, well, piece of... Well, if you look at the corner, the corner of Quebec and Mornington. And Mornington. That's that's where I was. And it's not there? I, I couldn't see anything that I said, yeah, you know what? That right there is Marilyn's footprint from when she was five. Yeah, well, it wasn't a complete footprint, like it was, like my heel and part of the sole. Okay, so maybe I maybe I was looking oh, for a definitive footprint. Don't, don't go back, dear, because I don't want to put you out over that. But Marilyn, we're we're all we're interested in this. I've I've been trying to find it, and I did get you're an email kidding. about it asking whether I had. So, so you're saying it's just the heel and part of your foot? Yes. And I have very small feet, Doc. And when you were five, they oh, were... Oh, it would be that much. Well, I was, you know, got small hands. I'm small boned. Okay, so what I was doing was looking more for a footprint like with toes. i got to be looking for the other end of the foot. <laughs> well, honey, I, what I phoned you about, as I missed you, of course, who everybody does. But um, what's your name? Jess Brady is a very beautiful personality. Oh, amazing. And I want to tell you that I phoned her twice last week. The second time I phoned her was about um, uh, Kauai Leonard sightings. Okay. And I said that, uh, well, I said, I, uh, she asked if I'd, I'd uh, stand in line to see him, just to see a glimpse of him. I said, well, I, I like him, and he's a great, foot, or great uh, basketball player, but I said I wouldn't stand in line to see him. Well, you know, dear, I'm 84. Would you stand, okay, well, Marilyn, here's another part of that question. Would you stand in line to see anybody? Is there anybody out there that you would say, I got to catch a glimpse of that person. I'm going to stand in line. No. Only you. Oh, come on. You and I will have coffee again. You don't have to wait and stand in line. (laughs) Well, anyways, the last time I stood in line, now the best part of the story is yet to come. The last time I stood in line, I was four years old, and it was see the king and queen in 39. 
And my Uncle Jack came along, and he hoisted me up on his shoulder, and I waved a flag as the car went by. It was a, uh, what do you call it, convertible, and an old Royce, uh, Rolls Royce, and the Queen looked, well, they both looked handsome. She had powder blue on, and he, uh, I don't, I think he was just in a suit. But anyway, that's the way it, that's for less. I wouldn't even stand in line to see Brad Pitt, and I love Brad Pitt. <laughs> so there you are. Look, look at, I'll tell you something right now. <clears throat> Anyways, the best part, this man called Chess and kind of really picked holes in me, you know. With, and you? Yeah. I didn't hear that. Well, he said that... Um, Oh, I think the guy was a nut bar. But anyways, I shouldn't maybe say that. But however, he didn't sound too right. But, you know, it was funny. He said she must be in her 40s. Little did he know you are 84. Marilyn, thank you so much for the call. And thank you for saying you wouldn't wait in line for anybody. See, I, I'm i with you. They're, that's not worth it. They're, they're just people. They're just humans waiting in line just to catch a glimpse. I've never understood it with royals. I don't even understand it with athletes. You have a great day. Well, love you, dear. Love you, too. Bye-bye. And I will continue the search for Marilyn's footprint. I was looking for toes. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Richard, how are you doing on this fine Monday? Not too bad. It's good to have you back, Mike. Well, thank you. Well, I don't want this to go to your head, but when I was at Sunfest this week, and people literally that I talked to, they really missed you, Mike. Did you know that? I did not, but you've made my day in telling me. Well, when they talk about you, right, they call you the voice of the London Knights, and they really enjoy listening to you in London. Now, please don't let that go to your head, okay? I work hard not to have that happen. Anyways, that little story of Marilyn and her footprints at Quebec in Mornington, that brought back a lot of old memories. Back Do you have the, a footprint in London we could look for, too? No, I don't have a footprint on that corner, but I did do something bad on that corner once, me and my cousin. But that was back in the day, right, when our relatives, right, and our parents, right, we, they made us, what's the word, accountable for our actions. Anyways, my aunt, she owned a home at 322 Mornington Avenue. That's only a block from Quebec and Mornington. And believe me, Marilyn, next time I'm down there, I'm going to be looking for your footprints. But anyways, one time at that corner back in the 60s, there was a variety store there, and my cousin Harold and I, we decided we were going to do a little five-finger uh, uh, discount mm. shopping. Anyways, right, we were stealing candy from there, and uh, the gentleman, right, he caught us, and naturally, right, he brought the police into it in them days, eh? Anyways, my aunt came down, and I'll never forget what my aunt Shirley said to him. She said, is there any way we can settle this right without them being charged? And the gentleman said, the owner of the store, he said, yes, he said, I think so, but he said there has to be some consequences. She said, oh, there'll be some consequences, all right. She said, why don't you put my son and my nephew, why don't you put them both to work and make them clean the shelves, right, and wash the windows and wash the sidewalk down and make it look good. She said, in other words, put them to work for eight hours. And the police officer said to the gentleman, he said, that sounds better than taking them. He said, down to Rideout Street, he said, why don't we just do that? And the gentleman said, sure. So he put us to work. Well, I'll tell you, my cousin and I, uh, Mike, we didn't try to steal out of that store again. <laughs> but, Richard, I love the story. But one last quick one. As we're um, 
SunFest. It was very enjoyable. And to all the volunteers and to all the paid staff and organizers, right, now, Fredo, you do a wonderful job with it. The only two suggestions that I would make, number one, put more garbage cans around Victoria Park because some people, right, are too lazy, right, to walk an extra, what's the word, a few hundred feet, right, and they'll just leave it where they're sitting. And the washrooms, right, you got to stay on top of them. They were getting pretty bad there yesterday. But other than that, I think they all do a wonderful job, and I'm going to be looking forward to Home County on the 19th. And my all-time favorite, right, is Rib Fest on August 1st. There we go. You have a good day, Mike. Richard, thanks for the story. Thanks for the call. Yep. 519-643-2222. Two good points from Richard as well. I mean, everything does typically go very, very well. I've noticed this not just in London but in other municipalities, too, where we do have fewer garbage receptacles than we used to. Now, we do have the setup where you've got garbage and you've got recycling options and things like that. Those are great. But in terms of having enough public garbage cans and enough public washrooms, yeah, that's that's something every single city struggles with now. Ever been in a city that you're not familiar with and you've thought, I got to go. I got to go. Where do you go? Most of the time, there isn't anywhere to go. You're starting to look for the nearest Tim Hortons and thinking, well, you know what? If I go and buy a coffee, I could also use the washroom. And that's kind of the way that we've structured ourselves. But yeah, the the porta potties are they're a tough job in a big festival. I think that goes to show just how many people were at Sunfest on the weekend. But more garbage receptacles. I know it means if you put down more receptacles, there's more to pick up. And I think that's what's happened in a lot of places where you don't have them outside of even a convenience store anymore or outside of a lot of different businesses because that means what? They have to change them. So I think that's why we've seen fewer and fewer. However, in a place like that, yeah, you want to keep the grounds clean, but they do a phenomenal job. Speaking of Home County Folk Festival, we will have one of the performers from Home County on London Live a little later on this week. Lots to come this week. Lots to come today, as a matter of fact. I want to talk a little bit about Kawhi Leonard. Not Kawhi Leonard's sightings, but I want to take just a a minute to look at what has happened across this country with the Raptors winning an NBA championship. If you think back to 2010 and the Vancouver Olympics, something happened to our country in 2010 that changed it forever. And it sounds weird to say that one guy and one basketball team at the professional level could have an impact similar to that. I think they have. We'll talk about that next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, we need to take just a minute. Hopefully nobody is still upset about Kawhi Leonard moving on to the L.A. Clippers. No reason for that. A lot of people who maybe enjoyed the Raptors' run is one of the first things they've watched closely in the sports world might look and say, I don't get this. The guy wins a championship, now he's out the door. Where's he going? That's not very fair. That's not very nice. Uh, don't, Don't waste your time feeling bad about things like that. Don't waste your time losing sleep over things like that. Don't let that taint anything that took place in the fun that it was to watch the Toronto Raptors. Because I'm not going to put this in the same category as 2010, because I really believe if we were to chart Canadian history, we would look at pre-2010 and the Olympic Games as being a time when Canadians didn't toot our own horns. 
to be able to say, hey, you know what? We're the best. This is the best place to live. This is the best place to be. We're awesome. We just didn't do that. May have believed it, but didn't do it. 2010 was the first time that that outlet presented itself with the Vancouver Olympics and the success that Canada had. And while I don't think we necessarily run around going, look at us, still awesome, red and white forever, man. We're not doing that. It's okay to admit, you know what, this is a great country. And we have some great things that happen here. And we have some great representatives from this country. It's okay to do that now. And I really credit the 2010 Olympic Games. So here we are 19 years later. And as much as, yes, the Blue Jays won back-to-back World Series in 1992 and 1993, the landscape was different then. And you didn't have that tooting of the horn. I really believe what happened through this entire Raptors run is Canada was able to rise up as a country and say, you know, it is okay to, to be that loud fan. It is okay to, to scream and yell and jump around. A lot of times, and I really believe, and you can think otherwise if you want, but there is a divide among Canadian and American fans, for instance. And you can point to other countries as well, but let's, let's make that comparison just because it's easy. And I run around and, and go to Knights games in the United States. I go to Knights games in parts of Canada as well, and you name it. There is a different style of fan. American fans are very boisterous, very loud, make for a great atmosphere. Canadian fans are way more analytical and like to sit back and say, why did they do that? Oh, did you see that? Here's what I think that player is doing, and here's why I think they're doing it. And there's nothing wrong with either of those fans. But I really believe the Raptors' run brought a lot of that shell away, where I think we're going to see better Canadian fan bases. And we've seen them at times. It depends on on where things are. But that go and enjoy yourself. Go and have a good time watching a sporting event. I think that's what's going to carry forward from this. As for Kawhi Leonard, basketball needs credit. The NBA needs credit. If you were to say, what is the perfect sport about five years ago? What did people point to? Well, the NFL. The NFL is the perfect sport. Why is that? Plays on basically a single day of the week, and you only play 16 games out of the year, and it has all kinds of hype and all kinds of coverage, makes it easy to follow, all of those things. And I believe five years ago that was true. The best sport right now, the perfect sport right now, is the NBA for the way that the culture of our world has changed. Everybody likes to what? Pick up their phone, get updated on things. Oh, I'm bored. I don't want to play a stupid little game on my phone. I want some news. I want some information. The NBA does a great job spewing out little bits of information that aren't that great, that aren't that big, but it does give you something to check on. And its game now matches shorter attention spans, the ability to cheer, players don't wear helmets, it's easy to get to know who they are. In order to follow a team, if you learn two or three key people, you've got them. You know, if if you want to learn the league, you learn maybe 20 people, you know what that league is all about. And I really believe we were introduced to that. So the two takeaways from everything that happened with the Toronto Raptors have to be the way fans will behave in Canada from this point on. We had Jurassic Parks and 
what we were introduced to in basketball being the sport for today. There are going to be hockey fans, and hey, this is not saying hockey's taking any kind of real back seat. This is just saying if you're looking for a perfect sport for the way that society acts today, basketball is it. Wish Kawhi Leonard the best because here's what will happen. Players now have control of the NBA. Kawhi Leonard helped to engineer a trade. That's just fact. That's, that's the way that they, LeBron James has done very similar things. Players have control of that league. So Toronto won't be titleless forever because we've got great players coming out of this country who will want to come back and win a title for their country in a few years. And that is going to bring attention back to the Toronto Raptors. Give it some time. Enjoy the storybook fun that that was. But there's more fun to come. You'll just have to be a little patient. Let's take a break for news. More to come on London Live. We're going to talk about accessibility in and around the downtown of London. This is Global News. And you're listening to London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Big hi to Rose, also to Andrew, to Tanya. Thank you for the emails. Uh, Two of those asked what I did on my vacation. I'd like to tell you a great story. I don't don't really have one. I just kind of hung out, just did some little things around the house. Steam cleaned in the family room. My wife bought a steamer. That's, That's very therapeutic. Find that as I get older cleaning and little chore things that I loathed as a younger person. So therapeutic, so relaxing. You know, you steam clean and you get that that nice clean path of rug and then you get to empty the water at the end and think this was in our rug and now it's not. It's a feeling of accomplishment. It's fantastic. Can't explain it. Oh, and I MacGyvered something. You know, that is a legitimate verb. Look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary. To MacGyver, I think, came into being in 2015. To MacGyver something, let me see if I can find an actual definition of it. But uh, let's see. Uh, Oh, to MacGyver something is to make or repair something in an improvised or inventive way, making use of whatever items are at hand. We've got an above-ground pool. And... I am somebody who used to stress about the above-ground pool, little leaks and things. I've gotten over that, so I don't stress as much about leaks in what I've connected that I haven't connected very well. Not very handy. But there was a thing. It was a, a pressure gauge, and it broke off years ago. I'm talking five years ago. And being the dummy that I am, I didn't realize that to measure water pressure, there would actually have to be water in the pressure gauge. So I didn't realize that water traveled to this and didn't bother covering it over when the plastic broke off. And over the years and the weather, the little piece corroded and it broke off. And it was like turning on a tap. Water was coming out like you wouldn't believe. So my wife, Kirsten, and I grabbed as much plumber's tape as we could find and and started wrapping. I felt like I was trying to stop bleeding. So we're wrapping, wrapping, wrapping around. And we finally got it down to a uh, pretty generous drip. And from there, I went in and I got the only other two things I could think of, silicone and duct tape. And I slathered silicone all over the place. And we put on more plumber's tape and then put on some duct tape. And then when you flipped on the pump because of the pressure, 
it would still leak. So I actually did something I haven't done since I was seven years old. When from a TV suggestion, I actually bought a record album off the TV. It was double gold. It had Eye of the Tiger on it. And that was the only song I cared about. Little did I know I got Toto and Africa in the deal. That's the only other thing I bought off TV. Well, I remember the guy who put together his boat with the the spray stuff, rubber in a can. I got that. And now I have covered that thing in that stuff. Ruined two shirts, and I think parts of my hand will have black rubberized stuff on them for the rest of my life. But if it stops the leak, and I will test it tonight, it will be worth it. So that's what I did on my vacation. I MacGyvered the pool pump, but I'm not sure yet whether it worked. In a moment, we'll talk not about MacGyvering anything in the city of London. Nothing needs to be MacGyvered. But there are things that if you take a look at accessibility, could be improved upon, for sure. And we are going to get information on what some of those spots could be. For instance, when there is an event at Victoria Park, like Sunfest that just went by this weekend, from someone who can truly appreciate how difficult it is when things are not accessible. We'll be joined by author, blogger, a guy known for not wearing pants, Jerry LaHaye, next on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We heard Richard say not too long ago that at Sunfest this weekend, and here's the thing to think about. We're not pointing at Sunfest. We're just pointing at events that happen at Victoria Park because so many do throughout the summer. They're fantastic. Home County Folk Festival is coming up. Rib Fest is coming up. But we have garbage cans. Richard didn't feel that there were enough that were accessible enough. And I got to agree. And this happens with a number of things. You could be in downtown London and you find yourself with garbage in your hand and you think, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. And if you're lucky enough to pass by a receptacle, sure. And there are receptacles for recycling and garbage and things. I appreciate those completely, but do we need more? I think if you're walking down a city street, it's not bad. If you're actually out now away from downtown... I think it's a bigger struggle to throw something out because a lot of businesses have taken away the garbages out front of their business because then people just use it for public waste and they have to change it and they have to dispose of it. So that's something that has become an issue. So garbage cans and washrooms for sure. One of the things that we don't necessarily take into account enough because for some of us, it doesn't become an issue in our lives enough is accessibility. And that's something that we want to talk about right now. Jerry LaHaye is an author, a blogger. You know him for not wearing pants. And he's also a Londoner with a keen eye for making things better. And he joins us now on London Live. Jerry, I love that that's the way you live. Keen eye for making things better. Because that's the best way to be, is it not? Uh, agreed. We can sit and complain and, and moan on, on social media and stuff like that, but we need to be more solution-based and, and see if we can't work together as a community or as partners to to make things better or to tweak things just a little bit. Okay, well, let's look at Victoria Park when it hosts events, because Sunfest was once again a smashing success. That kind of kicks off all kinds of things that will be playing out at Victoria Park over the next few months. When you look at say, accessibility issues with Victoria Park. Is there anything we could tweak there and make it better? 
Well, yeah, like, oh, Sunfest is one of my, my favorite festivals. And it was, this is my first time down there in a, in a wheelchair. And, you know, there's some, it, it, it's popular, it's crowded, it's great, I love it. However, you know, there are some opportunities that I saw that could make it that much more enjoyable from an accessibility standpoint. And while I was down there, I did, you know, I obviously with a different set of lens that I have that I could see things a little bit differently. A lot of folks with, with, uh, in wheelchairs and, and gate aids and, and, um, uh, you know, lots of phones with, uh, or lots of folks with, uh, with helpers that were trying to get them around. And there's some areas that I found a little bit of a challenge to get around in a wheelchair. When I, when I first got down there, there was a, a, um, a jazz group that was playing at the, at the North stage. And, you know, it's a park, it's mostly grass. But it's a challenge to get through in my manual wheelchair over the tree roots to get out to the grass to see what was actually happening. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah, like you know, like I, I you know, I, being that I'm as stubborn as I am, I'm not going to sit on the sidewalk and not see what was going on. So <laughs> I ventured out. Many people don't have the ability or the strength to do it like I do. And then you know, there uh, we we're, we're a friend. I was with a friend, and and uh, we we're going to head over to the beer garden. So I stopped to use uh, an ATM. And with the heavy rains that we had had the night before, the, the ground was, was, was muddy and, and, and really, really sticky, and it was a challenge to get through a wheelchair. You know, a couple pieces of plywood would have made it that much easier to, to access. Um, they had a terrific beer garden and a great Latin band that was playing out on, on um, the one stage. So we ventured into the beer garden, and you need to buy a ticket to, in, in order to, to get a beer. Well, from a guy in a wheelchair, I couldn't get to the ticket stand because it's up over the curb and then up onto a, a, a sidewalk. So had I been alone, there's no way, and obviously I don't drink any anyways, but had I been alone, our folks in wheelchairs would not be able to access the ticket. I'm sure that the help of folks at SunFest would have come down to help, but, but the point of the matter is, is that we, we prefer to be independent and, and self-reliant, and it would have been easier to access. Gary LaHaye joining us, author, blogger, pantsless guy. Now, even before we get back into our conversation about accessibility in <laughs> London, uh, for anybody who, who is not familiar with you being a pantsless guy, what does that mean? It's just, you know, it, it's something that started as a joke years and years and years ago that I've always, because I was in the business world and wore suits, and I've always hated pants. And now as a double amputee, I don't wear pants because, first of all, I don't have legs that get cold anymore, but it, it, pants are a pain to get over the prosthetic legs. So we turned it into this big joke, and it turns out that there's more people in London that, that enjoy being pantsless. Like, obviously, I wear shorts, but we even have a pantsless breakfast club that, that meets uh, about once a month, and we just gather to, to, to enjoy each other's company, and half the people there don't wear pants. That is outstanding. There should be more of that. I'm not a pants fan either, to tell you the truth. I will go and I'll put on shorts and run around the house. I'll have even a shirt and tie on sometimes and and still have shorts on just to avoid putting the pants on until I absolutely have to. What is it? Where did we come up with these things anyway? I don't know. I think it was a, a comfort thing. 30 years in the food and beverage business, besides being in suits all the time and hot, just, you couldn't wait to get home and rip the suit off. And and everybody that knows me knows that it's an inside joke. It's nothing weird or, or perverted or anything. It's just that pants and T-shirts, that's the way to go. And now that I'm in the situation that I am, it even works year-round. So, Well, Jerry, 
Keep that up, because a meeting of pantsless people in London is something that needs to almost be promoted. So that that I absolutely love. Let's look more at, at accessibility, because like you say, you're able to see this firsthand. So whether it's a couple of pieces of plywood over some wet, mushy ground, how about the rest of the city in, in being around the city and in traveling around? How is London doing overall for accessibility? Now, you know, I'm going to preface this by saying that you know, I, I sit on the city's accessibility committee, and uh, you know, I just recently joined that. But my relationship with the city and trying to get things done in the city is terrific. The city has been wonderfully uh, responsive. Many many councils that I address issues to are quick to to act. The problem in this city is just like from a basic infrastructure standpoint, is that it's aging. It's a little bit crumbling, and there's over three thousand kilometers of, of sidewalks. We can't see and fix everything all the time. When I, like, I spend a lot of time wheeling around the city because I, I enjoy being out and I'm not going to be held hostage in my home, but sidewalks and curbs are, are, are problematic. And when I, when I identify a specific area that, that is in, in, in real, of real concern, I address it through City Hall and a Band-Aid solution is, is taken care of very, very quickly. Back on April the 1st, just after leaving uh, the prosthetic company to get fitted for a new uh, a new leg, I hit a curb at, at a, as I was crossing the street, and I went down and, and split my leg wide open. And you know, the first your first you know reaction is anger, like you know the city, you know, you just want to get really really angry, but that's not going to solve the problem. And the problem, and 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 it also boils down to, and I'm writing a blog about this right now as a paying the bill is that. It's a costly fix. We can't fix every sidewalk, every curb in the city. I see new designs. I see that they're doing a much better in designing a, a safer passage. But it, it's a problem. Downtown especially is, is a major problem with cobblestone work that, that was done 25 years ago that's crumbling. Sidewalks, that it was, you know, as a pedestrian, you don't really notice that when they're on that much of an angle, but you're wheeling down. And, and, it, and it's a struggle. Again, luckily, I've got the strength, body strength to do it. Many don't. Um, tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock, I'm going to be down at Richmond and York, and I've invited folks to come and try wheeling a block or two in the wheelchair to see what this problem really is about, that it's not just some old pantsless guy that was complaining. It's just that we've got issues here that need to be addressed. However, we need to have the will, the political will, to spend the money. And like you say, you can't possibly fix absolutely nope. everything. But is there, if, if we really paid attention to, say, downtown core, how much would that help? Well, and, 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 and here's the thing. We build this wonderful Dundas place, and, and we have the festivals in the parks. And if you want to attract everybody in, in active transportation, and whether you're, you're, you're disabled or not, there needs to be focus. The downtown core... I, like, I'm excited about what's happening. I really am with Fanshawe and the shops. And once the construction is done, it's going to be a beautiful downtown, and I want to be there. But the, when the sidewalks are in the state that they're in, it, it presents a real challenge. And I'm not the only one that shares this view. Now, with BRT on, off, on, off, we do, I don't know exactly what the plan is for downtown sidewalks, whether it's Dundas Street, whether it's Richmond Street, King Street. I've, I've asked City Hall to look into it. I've asked um, uh, War 13 
council are looking into it. Josh Morgan is looking into it from a budget standpoint. Nobody's made any promises, but they know that it needs to be priority to get people downtown. The short-term solution, is, and it's a little costly, is to fix the sidewalks. The longer it, it goes um, unattended, I think we're going to have bigger problems and it's going to become even that much more costly. Gary, it has been phenomenal talking with you. Tell us again, tomorrow, what time and what place are you encouraging I, people to come and, and try to wheel around the city? It's, 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 I be, will be at the corner of York and Richmond outside the U Cafe at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. And it's just meant to give like, like, like the lessons that I've learned spending time in a wheelchair. You know, I'm calling the blog uh, Wheel a Mile on My Wheels. Love it. And it's just like, have a, have a, come down, have a look. I, we did it with one person yesterday at Richmond and Central, and she failed miserably. And, and hopefully the more people that see it, the more that we understand that we do have a problem. And let's see if we can't come up with the money to fix it. Jerry, we'll do this again. Thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Jerry LaHaye, author, blogger, meeting monthly with London's Pantsless Society. Absolutely love that. And, yeah, we'll head down tomorrow. York and Richmond, I'm not sure if I'll have time to to give it a try, but certainly we'll see how that is going tomorrow because I think that's brilliant. Wheel a mile on my wheels. Jerry, thank you even for setting that up because you don't realize what something is like until you do it. And we've seen this with the London Bicycle Cafe. What have they organized? They've organized rides to say, you want to see what it's like to ride into the city during rush hour on a bike? Here's what it's like. And you see how drivers are not used to dealing with cyclists. Drivers do not like dealing with cyclists. Up until recently, London's bike lanes have basically been non-existent. We've seen Big strides made, and we'll see more once Dundas sorts itself out. That will be kind of the bike lane. And then, unfortunately, we're going to have to see everything that's been put down on King Street kind of ripped up. But that's kind of the way it goes. King Street was meant to be temporary. But this is totally different. This is now accessibility. This is dealing with conditions of sidewalks. And I love how Jerry spelled it out. There's 3,000 kilometers of sidewalk in London, Ontario. You're not going to be able to make every little bit pristine. And some of them, like the one that apparently has Marilyn's footprint in it, I have to go and take another look. If you missed it, Marilyn called in earlier. It's not her entire foot. It's just the kind of the heel and the ball of her foot that is somewhere at Queens and Mornington. So some of that you want to kind of preserve, but at the same time, you want to make sure that the streets are accessible, that sidewalks are accessible. And we're not even talking when the snow comes, because that can be very difficult as well. After a while, if we get big snowfalls, where are you going to put the stuff? You know, you've got it piled up, but we're talking about the condition of sidewalks, the condition of curbs, and what it would take to actually make those accessible for individuals who need it. And Jerry's going to make it Very easy for us to have an up-close look. We'll do that tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., York and Richmond, if you want to stop by. So that is Wheel a Mile on My Wheels. Jerry, thanks so much. We'll let you know what is still ahead on London Live. We're going to talk organized crime. We are also going to talk about some water safety. And I do want to get to the U.S. women's soccer team and their plea for equal pay. Because immediately when you hear that, you're inclined to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Equal pay, okay, but equal pay among national teams, yeah, but the men's game, that's so much more popular. 
So, of course, they're going to be bringing in more revenue. And with that, they deserve a larger amount of money. Well, if that's what you're thinking, hang on. Because that's not right. And I don't mean right from an equal pay standpoint. I mean those facts are not right. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, organized crime does exist, and organized crime will sometimes reach into some interesting areas. One of those areas is fraud. But when you think about making a lot of money, you think think fraud actually gets that done in organized crime? Well, some numbers have come out, and you might be fascinated to know just how much money is being I guess, accumulated by organized crime through fraud. We're going to talk about that in 10 minutes from now. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I don't know if you saw it over the weekend. There were pictures of it. It didn't happen around here. But they actually had the convention for tall people. This is a thing. Convention for tall people. They all got together. And uh, I suppose we're tall. What else happens there? What do you do? You, do you go and compare where you buy custom shoes, or how does this happen? Uh, they do have a a club that exists in the United States, and I guess there are a number of of different ones. They selected Miss Tall in the Huntington Beach 4th of July parade, and that kind of sparked this convention. You had people who were 7 foot 4. How do you decide who gets to go? I mean, if you're 6 foot, is that tall? If you're taller than the average bear, is that tall? You get to go? I'm I'm not completely sure exactly how that works out. But that's what they celebrated in Huntington Beach over the weekend. I believe the master of ceremonies was seven foot four. Now, one thing that we did have here in this area was a convention that was was pretty interesting. This this is one of those things that might be more underground, it would feel at least, than anything else. Um, this was a convention that, in a way, highlighted a video game that is made here in this area. And with that, you had all kinds of people flocking to London to talk with the game manufacturers, to talk with the some of the, the voices in the game. It was it was pretty amazing and uh, and shows kind of how things go for this area when some of those things that have been behind the scenes all of a sudden start coming out. Now, the game is Warframe, and Warframe is kind of has a, a big backstory, but it's, it's a, a complex game. It's a sci-fi game, and Tenacon was the convention that was held here. And so it was, it was a pretty wild turnout to see how many people lined up for things like autographs and some of the other panel discussions that existed. So congratulations to the organizers of Tenacon, because I'm sure this is not going to be the last time that we see something like that. But it maybe didn't get 
the notoriety that Sunfest did, but it brought in all kinds of people who took part. Pretty wild. Something else pretty wild is something that we're going to move on to right now, and it is organized crime. And when we hear about organized crime, you know, you can think of it any way you want to, but the goal for organized crime is often making money. If you were to say, okay, where would organized crime be getting their dollars from? Uh, Well, let's say drugs, because you wouldn't be wrong to say that. What if we said fraud? Well, yeah, maybe, because fraud's a crime, and you could see them going hand in hand. Well, thanks to Sam Cooper, who is an online investigative reporter with Global News, we have more of a picture as to what sorts of ventures organized crime is getting into when it pertains to fraud. And joining us right now on London Live is Sam Cooper. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Sam, let's talk about why you chose to to look into this as deeply as you did from the outset. Well, I've been looking at, uh, in detail, uh, organized crime's involvement in the money laundering of drug proceeds. And as I talked to experts, what I learned was that uh, the money laundering of, of drug cash, you know, the actual financial crime of money laundering, is so closely related to financial fraud. Uh, they're both very sophisticated, complex transactions involving shell companies, international transfers. But what was really surprising was that uh, police uh, investigators have been noticing for about 10 years that uh, organized crime has discovered that fraud is just as good a way to make money as bringing in massive loads of drugs. And it's a uh, very high reward and low risk because it's so hard to investigate that very few cases are prosecuted, and the ones that are prosecuted, the, f- uh, the penalties are very low compared to violent crime and drug trafficking that we normally associate to, uh, to organized crime. So as the expert that I talked to told me, um, you know, it's not blue-collar thugs anymore. These are very sophisticated business-like operations that are hiring lawyers, accountants, computer experts to structure and uh, enact these frauds on corporations and individuals like you and I. Wow. Okay. And, and this kind of came from, from seeing this from different angles, investigating something else. That's right. I, I've really been looking at real estate money laundering as it relates to the casino money laundering that's so prevalent in BC, but actually is a problem across Canada. Uh, the underground banking that links up uh, crime networks around the world and in Canadian cities is a big deal. And and exactly this new angle was that they are so involved in fraud, and this can be the schemes that anyone is aware of when you get the, that email that says a long lost cousin from uh, you know. Some nation in Africa is asking for your help to to obtain some funds. Some people do click on click on those and send some funds and never see them again. And it's organized crime that are behind those schemes. Wait a minute, that's that's even more fascinating because a lot of times you'll look and you'll go, I have no idea where this stuff comes from. But apparently, a crown prince from Nigeria believes that two billion dollars is available, and I can have a big share if I only help. That's actually the kind of stuff that would be coming from organized crime? 
Absolutely. It's mostly organized crime that are behind those schemes. And when you read the emails, you might think it's a very low-level type, uh, uh, you know, uh, gambit at trying to get your funds. But actually, these people think uh, the, the scams out well. They get enough people. Unfortunately, they tend to be more elderly people. And, uh, you know, mail fraud scams, all these apparently low-level type uh, schemes, they are connected to sophisticated networks around the world. We're talking with Sam Cooper, online investigative reporter with Global News. If you go to my Twitter feed right now, Sam's entire article on this is available there. You can link to it from there. But overall, I mean, if we were to think organized crime, I'm I'm sure people would turn toward what they see in movies, whether it's credit card scams or ID theft. Does that kind of stuff factor in as well? Absolutely. I mean, everyone across Canada needs to be aware that when you throw out your garbage, if you include bills that identify yourself or your credit card or your family members, there are gangs of people that are hired to go through garbage, find anything that can identify you and your financial networks, and then that information can be sold on the internet or what's called the dark web. Uh, there's people out there that are buying that information and using it to ding your credit card or to, uh, in the worst cases, uh, fraudulent loans can be taken out uh, involving your information. And there's just a, a vast network of, of scams that are being run off. Uh, even, you know, it's not just individuals. Corporations are tricked into sending money for fake invoices. Uh, you know, we've talked about sort of these emails. There's things called phishing scams, schemes where it looks like a real business, sends you some request, you click on it, and it's not. They've got your information. You may even send them money. So it's just the, the revelation for me was there's so much more uh, to these scams that we didn't know about and so much more organization. We, of course, being in Ontario, look to Toronto for booming housing prices and things being out of control. But we know that Vancouver has a housing crisis in the way that it it has boomed out of control for a lot of people to afford housing. When it comes to organized crime and that end of things, could there be a tie there? Absolutely. What uh, what our expert informed us is that mortgage fraud is a big deal. It, it's worth uh, hundreds of millions. If I've seen figures of, of billions, it can be in Canada. And uh, organized crime is behind 90% of that. So for the people in Vancouver, that will make a lot of sense because people knew that property flipping was going on. But what we have learned is that there are networks of buyers and sellers that are colluding together. There are, you know, these fraudulent mortgages are taken out with stolen IDs. Properties are flipped back and forth, driving up the prices higher. And uh, at the end of the at the end of the scheme, something called a straw buyer—that's a fake buyer with fake documents—will buy it at an inflated price, and so uh, banks can get uh, hooked into these and be left holding the bag on a big loan. And uh, the average citizen, especially in Vancouver, sees prices driven higher in certain neighborhoods by these schemes. We are talking with Sam Cooper from Global News. Sam is an online investigative reporter. Again, go to at Stubbs980 right now, and you can read the entire article that Sam has written about this. Sam, as we close out, the next question becomes, can anything be done about this to curb it, either from a a police standpoint or in some other way? What do you think? Well, uh, 
obviously individuals, uh, your listeners can protect themselves by taking some care with uh, what they throw out so that their identities are not stolen. People can educate themselves to these uh, phishing schemes that happen in emails so they don't click on the wrong link. But the bad news is that as it stands, uh, our experts told us in Canada's justice system, like money laundering, isn't set up to tackle this uh, sophisticated financial crime. It takes a lot of resources. Canada needs much more police resources in that area. And our laws, it turns out, are very weak in relation to the fraud. So we're told that the government needs to smarten up and take this seriously because it's not just, uh, you know, people losing money. It's Canada's financial integrity that's at stake. So this might be a legislative issue more than anything else? That's what we're told. Uh, A lawmaker needs to stand up and say we need to put some real teeth into laws against fraud because we now know it's so deeply intertwined with the money laundering that's really crushing uh, B.C. society. And and also police need more resources and training on this. Sam, as a final question, did you talk to anybody who said we've gone too far and things have gone too far to even dig into that, that this might not be something that can be easily reversed even through legislation? Well, uh, from my reporting in Vancouver, I do know some very expert people that a lot of them are are former high-level RCMP that unfortunately they do believe that housing markets in British Columbia are so, so deeply rotted. Uh, there's such a big portion of organized crime involved that it would take a lot. Some people don't believe the tide can be reversed there. And if it were reversed, there would be all kinds of uh, other related damages. I think Ontario, some cities are experiencing these problems, but the tide could still be reversed in Ontario. Well, we'll see if somebody does stand up and decide to change some legislation. Sam, thank you for raising the attention that you have from coast to coast on what has been happening. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. You too. That is Sam Cooper, online investigative reporter with Global News. And it's interesting that we ended up talking so much about real estate. Going into that, that's not an angle that I expected to become as much a part of the story. I mean, if you're just joining us, that was Sam Cooper. He's an online investigative reporter from Global News. And if you go to my Twitter feed right now at Stubbs980, there's a link to the story that he has done on organized crime and fraud and the idea that they are making so much money from this in organized crime that you don't necessarily look and say, well, organized crime is all about drugs. Yeah, it's it's about a lot of things. And one of those things that's really proving lucrative is fraud. And this is certainly about going through the garbage, stealing identification. It's about stealing information that that can help you to do anything fraudulent that you would expect from credit cards to identities to all of those things. So, yes, that does exist. But then all of a sudden, we get talking about real estate. And this is a big concern. Right now, what have we seen in the last little while? A big jump in real estate. Now... A lot of that, we are told, is because you've got people in Mississauga, Brampton, Toronto, Oshawa, you name it, any of those places in the GTA that have said, you know, I've been to London a couple of times, and it's a really nice place. Ever been to Sunfest? And they say, we could sell our place, we could bank a half million, and some people even commute still into places like Mississauga and Brampton, and they'll do that for a couple of years, and then they'll retire happily ever after in southwestern Ontario. We're happy to have you. Congratulations. That's the way that that life has worked out. 
we have seen things hit a different level in B.C. for sure in terms of housing prices. But we are hearing that around the world, and there was a movie that we talked about that I'll, I'll talk a bit about in a minute, but there was a movie we outlined that has gone looking at how this has taken place and that they haven't necessarily pointed to organized crime for mortgage fraud and things like that, but they have pointed to things like investing and hedge funds And that you've got corporations that now exist and their goal is to buy a place and jack up the rent or buy a place and do what Sam was suggesting that organized crime is doing, jack up the price and then sell it. And, you know, from there, everything else kind of gets a bump. So it's it's a big concern. And look what Sam said at the end. And I think this is the biggest key in all of this. This is not something that you can say to the police. Okay, well... Crack down on organized crime. Here's what we need to do. We need all of the officers that we have on staff to crack down on organized crime. Yet they're doing that. They're doing that on a daily basis. That's that's nothing new. What you need, as Sam pointed out, is legislation that says, here are the punishments that exist for fraudulent behavior. What is fraud right now? If I ask you to describe it as a crime, what's fraud? known as a white-collar crime, right? And what is white-collar crime known as? It's known as go to the country club. You know, you're not going to a federal prison. You're going somewhere where, oh, yeah, that's that's the business guy who made the mistake. Yeah, that's okay. That's Those days are gone. We've got too much going on now that can lead to fraudulent activity for that to be, yeah, okay, yeah, it's just you send that person to the country club Slap them on the wrist with a big slap, maybe two. We have to turn things around and look at this in a different way because the justice system can only do what the legislation allows it to do or what precedent allows it to do. And if you don't have legislation that says you can send these people away for a long time, which makes it a deterrent, uh, I mean, one of the things that Sam talks about is something called the Jordan Ruling, and it comes from 2016. What does the Jordan Ruling do? Well, it sets 18-month trial limits for provincial cases and 30 months for superior courts. And what has that done? Well, that means 800 criminal cases have been thrown out because unless you can basically take it to trial in an 18-month period for a provincial case or a 30-month period for a superior court, it's gone. It's tossed. And you don't think organized crime knows how to work to prolong that? You bet they do. Absolutely they do. We're talking about very shrewd individuals, people who have a lot of business sense. You can say it's on the wrong side of the law, but they're good at what they do. So this Jordan ruling is an issue, is a problem. And you've got to find ways to create deterrence. And right now the legislation does not appear to have that. It's not a country club crime, especially for someone who has had their identity stolen. Find somebody, talk to them about that. If we're seeing housing prices skyrocket and what organized crime is doing is playing a hand in that, then that's a concern for everybody. And it's something that needs to be dealt with. And as Sam points out, in B.C., they feel they're too far gone. But in Ontario, still have some time. Maybe it's time to 
knock on a door of a politician. We'll try and do that this week and see whether see whether we can drum up somebody who has at least thought about this. We'll get the crack staff on that. Let's take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Still to come, we're going to talk about equal pay. Now, that's something that should exist everywhere as far as I'm concerned. But when it's brought up in sports, maybe it has a little bit of a different slant to it. Or at least it seems like it would. We've got the U.S. women's soccer team who just won the World Cup. And they have had some very vocal players about equal pay. Because a lot of times their players are paid $30,000 less a year than some of the U.S. men's soccer players. And I think they're among the most fortunate soccer players on the planet. I mean, there are other problems to talk about. Look at Nigeria. They don't always pay their players at all. But in hearing that, you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. wait." We have a women's soccer team asking to be paid like a men's soccer team. Well, the men's team has to have more money coming in. I mean, sponsorship of the Men's World Cup, let's face it, the Women's World Cup is not that old. So, no, 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 this doesn't make any sense. It takes time, patience, you know, that, that, that could come, but not right now. Well, if that's how you feel about this, hang on to those thoughts. News is coming up next, and then we'll dig into them. Because if we're to look at facts, then there is a lot more to the argument that the female players on the U.S. national soccer team have than you might think. That's straight ahead. Plus, we're going to talk about some of the tragedies on the water in this area before we close out the show. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Hey, while we're congratulating people who organized some events, how about France and the Women's World Cup of Soccer? That was very, very well done. And the Women's World Cup of Soccer is something that has really done an excellent job grabbing attention for the women's game. And there was amazing soccer from start to finish. Canada bowed out earlier than they wanted to. That's going to happen. That's an athletic competition. Somebody's going to win, and other teams are not going to. That's just the way it goes. But one of the things that has come out of this is something that we need to draw attention to. Because as we said before news... When you think about pay equity in women's soccer, you would think, just a minute, the Women's World Cup of Soccer has been happening, what, since the early 90s? It's not that old an event. doesn't have the history that the men's event does. Yeah, I mean, the women's game, that's, that's just starting to grow. No, I mean, it probably isn't generating as much as the men's game. And a lot of this is coming from the U.S. team. So you start hearing those things, and immediately that's that's where your mind goes, right? This is new. Women's sports are not at the point where men's sports are right now. Yeah, I could understand that there is some inequity. I, yeah, I could see that. So if you have that pictured in your head, hang on. Because when you go to the Wall Street Journal, if you look back at the last Women's World Cup final. There were more views on that than any soccer match in U.S. history, women's or men's, back at that time. 
And that leads, of course, because of the success of, of the women's soccer team in the U.S. But when you look at some of the other research done by the Wall Street Journal, in the three years after the U.S. women's team won the World Cup in 2015, more revenue, more total revenue was generated by the women's team than the men's team. And Nike has announced that the U.S. women's soccer team jersey is now the soccer jersey with the highest sales on its website in one season. So when you look at those statistics, you start to say, just a minute, maybe, yeah, maybe we're falling into the same old, same old trap that, oh, well, that's that's men's sports. So, yeah, they're they're more successful because they're men's sports. When that's not what the numbers are saying, and when you look at the success of the Women's World Cup, yeah, it's easy to see that there is not just a following for it, but a rabid following for it. And so when you then look and say that the base salary of a lot of the players is 30000 less between male and female in the U.S., less for female, that starts to not make sense. And they earn less bonus money for making it the World Cup. Well, if you look at the numbers, they shouldn't. You know, and I I think that's something that is really making a change. I mean, we're still going to be bombarded by what the top pro sports leagues have in terms of dollar value. You're not going to catch what the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball and the NFL are handing out in terms of those salaries because there are big-time TV deals strapped into that. But just a minute, I mean... There is ground being made. And now when we've got women's hockey players who are trying to say, hey, you know, we deserve more than we're getting right now. Immediately, it looks like a stance to say, uh, you're just you're saying this, but we we have to get the numbers to back it up. Well, what if you started to see numbers that did back it up? It's not going to create an, an 11 million dollar a year contract, but that's not what they're going for. And when you look at the numbers in the soccer world, I think we need to dig into the hockey world a little bit more and see maybe if the numbers aren't there right now, what potential there is that exists right now. You know, if you had said 10 years ago, people aren't going to sit and watch the Women's World Cup of Soccer, you would have had a lot of nods of head saying, yeah, I can see that now. But that's not the case anymore. You've started to realize how good the game is, how well it is played. When you get the best of the best doing anything, I don't care if it's junior-aged players at something, I don't care how you divide it up. If you get the best of the best doing something, it is worth watching. They are extremely skilled in anything. It could be jumping rope. It could be tying shoes. And that's something that I think we're starting to realize in our world a little bit more. So, interesting to see how this plays out. But don't go thinking that the U.S. women on their soccer team that that are kind of making claims saying we need to see equity in the pay, don't just dismiss that because the numbers show they're right. Let's take a break. Up next, we're going to look at some tragedies on the water. This weekend, we had a lot. We had an awful lot. 
And we're not talking about children here. We spend a lot of time with children and water safety. Rightly so. I mean, if you're going to teach your child to do one thing, one thing, I don't care if it's jump rope or tie shoes, that one thing should be swim. Because if you can't tie your shoes, it's not going to kill you. You know, you, you might scrape your leg when you fall, when you trip over your shoelaces, but it's not going to kill you. If you don't learn to jump rope, you won't be as fit, but it's not going to kill you. However, if you don't learn to swim, that is a possibility. So we'll discuss that in just a moment because we've got adults who are winding up in tragic situations, losing their lives. And if you look back, there will be some that, yeah, okay, that that could have been prevented. Others, maybe not as much, but the ones that could have been prevented, why weren't they? So we'll discuss that in just a couple of minutes. Go to the phones very quickly before we go to break with Bob. Bob, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Mike, yourself? Good. Good to hear you had a good vacation there. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? I watched the whole the entire tournament, uh, the women's tournament. I think. And what did you think? Oh, it's great soccer. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I loved it. But in terms of the the equity issue, uh, there's a discussion I was listening to that was just brought up a couple of days ago on this very matter, <clears throat> and the numbers are way different. Uh, the, the one number I remember quoted by the two panelists discussing this were uh, the last, uh, in 15, the Women's uh, World Cup generated $75 million. The World Cup last year for the men uh, generated $4 billion. Oh, and I'm not, I'm not comparing yeah. World Cup versus World yeah. Cup, but I mean, in, in terms of what the women are arguing in the United States, they are arguing that their team, their national team versus the men's national team, they're actually generating more revenue, and the Wall Street Journal backs it up. Well, okay, I don't know. Like, I mean, you hear numbers differently. From I'm not trying to say right? the Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup are going to generate the same amount of money. They're not. And, I mean, no. the, oh. it, it's, it, it is a case of the Women's World Cup not having been around as long. But it comes down to a matter of economics. If you're an owner of a team and you're not generating that 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 amount of of income, you know, through your team, uh, you're just not going to be able to pay your players. And that goes for the women's hockey. Women's hockey's great, but it's just right now. I mean, it, it obviously is building year after year, and we'll probably see it get to that point. But it's economics, and it's and it's just straightforward business. You can't afford to play players what you can't afford to pay them or you go broke oh absolutely uh, but yeah. i i like the the and and the thing that makes me sway a little bit because that's exactly how i was thinking when we first had all of the female hockey players saying hey we need some changes here i thought okay well you need to make sure that you can generate income but if you see promise like what we're seeing in women's soccer what if they did get that little helping hand to start yeah well fantastic i mean you know if it gets to the point where both Men and female, uh, uh, male and female sports at the professional level, uh, you know, e- uh, you know, equal that same plateau. They get up there, and they should be paid because if they're drawing in the audience, you know, if they're drawing in the the advertising and all everything else that goes along with that, uh, in the merchandising and what have you, if it gets there, I think it will. But right now, I, I think you can't demand a pay scale that just isn't there. You just can't do it. And I wouldn't, like, you got to be careful, too, because if you push the issue, 
wasn't it the women's hockey, the women's uh, Canadian hockey team that collapsed this year? We had the yeah, we had the league that collapsed. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's and they weren't necessarily pushing the issue. What they're doing is saying what's in place now is not working. We need changes. Right. So we'll see what changes come. Sure. Bob, thanks so much yeah. for the call. All right, Mike. Have a good day. Bye bye. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Back to the phones we go with Mike. Mike, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you, Stubbs? Not bad. How do you feel about this? Uh, well, I don't think it really matters what the men are paid. Like, uh, some, I one time had a coworker who was really not very good at his job. He was fairly high paid. And that doesn't bother me because I'm, like, I agreed with my employer ahead of time to be paid what I'm paid. I'm fine with that. So what somebody else gets paid makes no difference. So long as I'm getting paid uh, what I had agreed upon, then they could pay everybody else three times that, and I don't feel like I'm wronged because I'm still getting paid my original wage. Because, because that's what you, yeah, that's what you had agreed to. So I think if men are getting paid more than women, it doesn't. I wouldn't really look at that. I'd just look at are women getting paid a decent amount, and if not, well, maybe they should look at a different career besides soccer if that's. Well, I think what they're saying, what they're saying is there's a $30,000 difference between what some of the men are being paid and what they're being paid in base salary, and their bonus structure is different, Um, and I'm not sure that was necessarily agreed to, because we're looking at a a different situation here. If we compare private sector, that's going to be different than what this national team program had set out, but I think they want to be a little bit vocal about this while they have that platform and say, look, it shouldn't be $30,000 different because we have more merchandise sales, we have generated more money in the matches that we have played than the men's team has, so I think that's where their argument is coming from in soccer. So so who owns the uh, national team? Does the Canadian government own that? This is this is the U.S. national team that we're talking sure. about. So I mean, yes, it, sir, it, the would, it would be it would be a grant coming from the government. Absolutely, it would be coming from sport or sport tourism in some way. Okay, so it's a government-owned team then. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Mike, thanks yeah. for the call. No problem. Thank you. Take care. Well, Mike makes a good point, and and it's one that you know if you go by what does happen in the sports world. You often see players who will agree to one thing and then say, well, wait a minute, now I know what that person is getting, so so I want that. And it goes back to the age-old argument of should salaries be made public or not? Should you know what somebody makes? Right now you can Google and you can say, okay, how much does a nurse make? And Google will spit up a number for you. How much does a nurse in Canada make? It'll spit up, I don't know how accurate the number is. But if you're a nurse and you Google it and you realize, you know, I'm not making that much, you might be asking some questions. Or if you are making way more than that, you also might be asking some questions. But a lot of times you have a little bit more harmony in the private workplace because people don't know what everybody is making. And as much as you might think, yeah, but that's not fair. Yeah, but back to Mike's point... You negotiate what you believe to be a good remuneration for yourself. So here's what I'm doing. Here's what I believe it to be worth. You agree upon that, and then that's what you make. And you make it for whether it's the duration of a contract. 
there shouldn't be a time where you say, yeah, well, that person is making that much, so I deserve to make that. And we do see that. And if you're a part of a union, you're going to not like this, but that's where it comes from. Unions will look around and say, well, in Hamilton, they're making this, so we should be making a little bit more. And we saw this in the pro sports ranks, and you can see the mess that they have come into. I still believe there's a tipping point in sports. We're seeing millions and millions and millions of dollars and all kinds of attention. You wait. You know, we're in a pretty great period right now where not much is going wrong. We have things going pretty well. And with that, we can take some time and we can play in the toy aisle, which is sports. We can have recess, which is sports. We can have those great distractions, which is what sports is. When that changes, the attention to sports won't be there. People will go and say, I got to look after myself now. I'm not spending that much money to go and do that. And there will be a tipping point and things will pull back. The reason we've seen salaries escalate so much is due to the fact that we've had players as part of an association able to say, I get this many points. I should be paid like that person who gets that many points. I do this. I should be paid like that. Per- and, and that's what's happened. Everything's been very public. So it makes that difference. All right, we haven't had a chance to talk about tragedies on the water. I do have a couple of words, and then uh, we may talk about that tomorrow on London Live because we are we're starting to run out of time. It is Monday, and you're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFBL. A saying that isn't used as much anymore is what goes up must come down. And we don't really live in that right now. Again, we're living in a time that history will review as being so incredibly prosperous, so wildly successful, disposable income. You know, there are people who unfortunately, because of of the separation between the two, are not experiencing that. And that does exist. I mean, we've got a widening gap between people who have that disposable income, people who are enjoying that prosperity, and those who are struggling to get by. And both parties exist in a big way. So in what goes up must come down, we've got to realize that eventually, you know, the system cannot support. And it has been the jobs of unions and associations to get just a little bit more. What are we going to get in the next contract? A little bit more. A little bit more. And you've got to be careful you don't get a little bit more and a little bit more and ultimately break the system. And that's something that unfortunately does happen. Last word on this goes to Ted. Ted, your thoughts. If you think that's wildly prosperous, you're out of your friggin' mind. This province has to pay a billion dollars a month just to service the debt. We're not wildly prosperous. We're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, but if you look at the disposable income that exists, you know, people that are able to do the things that they are doing individually. Yeah, the the retired public sector workers moving to London, buying houses cheap and have the rest of their money. No, we are in a lot of trouble in in this country financially, big time, because we won't get things going. And I blame that individual in Ottawa because he's trying to play both sides against the middle. The other thing is, in, there's nothing to watch on TV but sports. You want to watch The Bachelorette? You go ahead. <laughs> That's all I got to say. But you know, it's, 
It, we're not wildly prosperous. Look at the, what's happening to, to, to agriculture in this area. It's in it's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, but Ted, you're you're comparing you're comparing industry and provincial and federal I, states every, with everything, individuals. Everything. Some individuals are doing well. We have a lot of people that are well off, but we got a lot of people in debt. Mm-hmm. I was able to negotiate myself from sixteen to seventy three without too much debt because I, we didn't believe in debt. We were taught, they're talking about teaching kids finances in, 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 in school now. We've got to do that because they've got to realize that one and one makes two. Mm-hmm. And we have to do that because we're, we're going to have a problem in this country. The healthcare system is going to collapse. And uh, I, I might be fortunate because I might, I might not be around when that happens. But it's, we've got a lot of problems. We're not wildly prosperous at all. Not at all. Ted, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Bye. And by wildly prosperous, and I still hold that there are people who are, I'm looking at disposable income of individuals or the way that maybe they're treating it. And maybe Ted's right where we're not teaching our kids that one and one make two. We're teaching them that, well, if if you want three, you just carry over the other one and you'll pay that off later. That's very dangerous. All right. This is a topic to continue on another day. We will close out the show when we return. You're listening to London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Tomorrow on London Live, everything from the battle that could be brewing between the U.S. and Russia over who can infiltrate the other's electrical grid to prostate cancer to 898 kilometers in 16 days or less, using only your two feet. Those and other topics join us between 1 and 3. Thanks to Matt McInnes, London Live, brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.